Smith and Jones on a Monday edition of the program. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Game day for the Toronto Raptors as they get set for the Sacramento Kings tonight. And a chance to again get healthy, stay healthy on their home floor. When I say healthy, I'm not necessarily just talking about the body. I'm talking about the mind and the soul, Jonesy, as this team has a bulk of home games this month. They've already had a number of them, and it's kind of been up and down to this point with the Raptors on that home floor as they try to gain a little bit of momentum following their victory a couple of nights ago over the New York Knicks. A rare weekend off for the Raptors Saturday and Sunday, but this week is going to come in like crazy with three games in four nights coming up for the Raptors. Well, the first night of the back-to-back tonight, tomorrow in Brooklyn, then back home for another tilt on Thursday, and then Steph Curry coming in on Saturday. So a very busy week, but you can't look past tonight because this is one you've got to get if you're the Raptors. Well, it's funny, Eric, because you know it's a it's the end of a season long seven game homestand, and you have a chance to finish it at four and three. I'm sure you would have hoped for a five and two, a six and one, uh, but there were some tough games in there. And the team is, to me, kind of what I thought it would be at the beginning of the year. You know, the the first couple games gave me an indication where they lost at home opening night to Washington, only scored eighty three points. And then they go on the road two nights later and hold Boston to 83 points and win going away on the road. And then I, I, I look at just, I just kind of look at this homestand and, uh, you know, you get a win over Milwaukee, you get a win over Washington, you think you got something going, and then you give one up to Oklahoma City, which everybody was probably looking at as, okay, that that's one you're going to get after beating two of the top teams in the East. So, it's just kind of been up and down. Uh, I think Fred said it best when he talked about searching for consistency. But, you know, if they get if they get this one tonight, it's not five in a row, but it's four out of five, four out of the last five at home, and you're starting to play a little bit better. So uh, to your point, though, it's a big one tonight. It, it really is. Yeah, no doubt a big one for the Raptors. Uh, again, Sacramento in town, and it's a 7 o'clock tip-off tonight for the Raptors. We're going to discuss that game uh, in a couple of minutes' time when Michael Grains joins us. Uh, also later on this hour, Eddie Johnson, the former NBA player, co-host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. He's also Phoenix Suns television analyst. Uh, so we'll break down a lot of things around the league uh, with Eddie Johnson and again with Grange as well. 7 o'clock, the tip-off tonight between the Raptors and the Sacramento Kings and Precious Achua uh, in the health and safety protocols now, Jonesy, which is uh, something to keep an eye on. And, and listen, I'm not trying to start on a sour note, not trying to start away from sports. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this, I suppose. But uh, with numbers increasing yet again, and obviously the holidays right around the corner and, and the Omicron variant and whatnot, um, a lot of people on kind of high alert given what happened last week with the Giants of Africa uh, event. And then, of course, with Masai Ujiri testing positive. Now you've got a player on the roster. And in fact, over the weekend, we find about Obi Toppin entering health and safety protocols for the Knicks, as did R.J. Barrett. And the last time they played, of course, was on the floor at Scotiabank Arena against the Raptors on Friday night. So it's not um, it's not a hard jump for your mind to go, okay, two guys on the Knicks who played against the Raptors, how cautiously are we watching Toronto and the fact that these players are going to be tested every day and at what point do we see a player test positive and have to be sidelined? Well, Precious did, and he wasn't even in that game. So this week, 
Um, I think that, you know, you're kind of on high alert because we're seeing the numbers increase around the NBA and we're seeing it increase across pro sports. We just heard moments ago, uh, I heard Blake Murphy mentioning the news coming out of Calgary that games have been uh, postponed through to the games, uh, including December 16th when the Leafs were supposed to play there. So it's something that I think is going to be gaining more steam and we've been dodging kind of uh, the, 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 the virus and the pandemic for the most part over the first six, eight weeks of the season, Jonesy. Uh, and the NBA has not yet had to cancel any games like multiple games have been canceled or I should say postponed uh, in the uh, in the NHL uh, the NFL was able to kind of navigate through things but it seems like right now uh, it's hitting a point where we haven't seen in, in uh, what six months at least I mean go looking back to last season in hockey and basketball specifically yeah uh, it's uh, I just you, you I think Masai said it best it's a persistent enemy and you have to be on guard and um, let's let's hope that the the leagues, all sports, and everywhere for for that matter, can kind of get it under control and keep you know just keep uh, keep it at bay because it, it's not going away. It, it's not going away. So, uh, yeah, I want to go back to the court for a second though. Uh, we had the um, we had the group chat going. We, you know, we got to sell this. We, we got to sell what's in the group <laughs> chat with me, you, our producer, Mark Boffo, Lance Kennedy, Josh, like whoever's in it, because we're all we're watching games. We're watching. We're talking about everything. We're talking about everything from Formula One and the NFL to, uh, you know, why do you take a single point on that on that kick return if you're Hamilton and the great like everything, and. Uh, I don't know who it was. Somebody mentioned, oh, Durant had 51 last night against Detroit. Remember that? We were talking about that. Yep. And I said, you know what? It was 20, sorry, 60 years ago, not 20. 20, some of these people might have actually remembered. But 60 years ago this season that the Dipper, Wilton Norman Chamberlain, averaged 50.4 points per game. That's a 50-piece every night, folks. And so Durant got 51, and, you know, they asked him in the interview, were you aware that you were close to 50? He's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's true, because you get that close and the bench starts telling, and, oh, you need one more rebound for a triple-double, or guys leave you to get the rebound, all that kind of stuff. So he knew. And I was listening to other people, and our, our good friend, Eric, who has taught both of us much basketball, Michael Cates, former head coach at Humber College, U of T, and assistant with the Canadian Olympic team, uh, is a great historian, and and I remember him telling me stories about Wilt, and I was actually old enough to see Wilt in his last couple of years blocking Kareem's or Lou Alcindor's hook shot, and and just hearing how what a great volleyball player he was too. I was out in BC this summer, and everybody talked about Wilt coming out there to play in in beach volleyball tournaments. But Wilt Chamberlain had a streak of games from December eighth to December twenty ninth, sixty years ago this month. Starting December 8, folks, sit down or hold on to the wheel because I'm going to give you his scoring games from December 8 to 29 in 1961, okay? 78, 61, 55, 54, 52, a paltry 43, 50, 57, 55, 59, 51, 53, 60, 
uh, fill up your bingo bingo card, Grandma. That that's a bingo. Oh, and the next night he went for a forty-five, and it kind of slowed down a little bit. But a seventy-eight followed up with a sixty-one. Like, and I, you know what? I, I ran into some young people the other day, and they were they were on me about the history of the game, and oh, you know, Will didn't have anybody big playing against him. Hey, man. I don't care what league you're playing in. If you're putting up 78 and this is the best in the world at the time, or some kid telling me, oh, well, you know, Jordan played against U-Haul drivers. That's why he played so Really? Patrick Ewing, Larry Bird, Carl Malone, Magic Johnson, and then, like, the tough guys in the league that were beating the crud out of them, Charles Oakley, Xavier McDaniel, oh, like U-Haul drivers? I know you can't compare eras, but like having grown up, like I said, seeing the end of Wilt and watching Jordan, uh, it, it's you can't compare eras. I, I will say that. You can't compare eras. But give the man his due and his time. Don't tell me about U-Haul drivers when you weren't even a, a you know, you weren't even a twinkle in your old man's eye. Give me a break. Anyway, <laughs> well, old first man of all, when you go- finished. Well, listen, you, I, I don't, I don't disrespect the old man rant. Um, I hear where you're coming from. I think the level of competition is a factor to some degree, but when you're putting up those numbers, I don't care who you're doing it against to do that every single night. When you're going through those numbers, I think that you know I was, I was getting flashbacks to my like you know high school math scores. That was very eerily remin, remin, uh, reminiscent for me, Jonesy, of, of what I was doing on a lot of tests: fifty-nine, fifty-eight, fifty-two. Um, but listen. This is the problem we've had forever, right? And this is this is sports talk radio. This is just being a sports fan in general, trying to compare eras. Because if you put Shaq, if you put Dwight Howard, if you put insert player here, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, back in the 40s and 50s, are they in the same physical build that they are right now? Do they have the same physique, the same athleticism, or are they built different too? Because there's not as much focus on nutrition and health and weightlifting and, and all of that stuff, etc. They, would they be able to do, like, like what do we often talk about, in, especially in the Canadian Football League, would you be able to do a regular Joe job in the offseason and then put that aside to go put on the pads and actually play a sport and be a professional athlete as well and play that dual role and have that dual life? So it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to compare generations. If Wilt today had the t- same type of uh, just sheer talent and born um, gifts that he had then and then added that with the sports and science of today – how much of a machine would be he be in today's game and how dominant would he be, right? It's impossible to know. Yeah, it is. It is. And again, that's why I said you can't compare eras. It's just impossible to do. Uh, but, you know, give the man his due in his era. Don't, 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 don't take away from it. You know, people talk the same thing about, oh, you know, Kuzi only used his right hand. Hey, man, the guy was the best point guard in that era. And probably did things that started what we have now with his passing, with his vision, with his ball handling and stuff like that. You know, people talk about the ball handling now. I mean, I go back to an era watching the great Isaiah Thomas handle the ball and some of the things he did without all the, the oohs and ahs from like, where do you think these and one, these ideas for the and one mixtapes and all this stuff came from it, it from watching that. So, you know, give the man his due in his era, really. 
Um, I hate to shift attention to back to where we started because I know you wanted to, to get off the COVID train for a second, but the, we have some breaking news, uh, and it relates potentially to the Toronto Raptors as well. As Adrian Wojnarowski just sent out a tweet, the Chicago Bulls forward Alizé Johnson has tested positive for COVID and has now entered the league's uh, safety protocols. And why is that of note? Well, the Toronto Raptors play the Chicago Bulls, or at least they're scheduled to play the Chicago Bulls in a few days. Their Thursday game in Toronto is against Chicago. And Jones, if I'm not mistaken, as of yesterday, the Bulls were down to nine players. If they're now without Alizé Johnson, they're down to eight players. And that is the league minimum. I believe it happened yeah. last year for the Raptors where Toronto had at least one game, if not a couple of games, down in Tampa and whatnot, where Toronto was forced to play with only eight players. Uh, and now the Bulls, with Alizé Johnson going sideline, uh, are down to eight players as they try to navigate through this thing. Uh, and they play the Pistons tomorrow before coming to Toronto to face the Raptors on Thursday. I mean, things are a mess right now, an absolute mess for the Chicago Bulls. Maybe that's the Bulls calling you, Jones. Are you looking to see if they can sign you to one of those emergency contracts or something? I don't I don't think so, E. <laughs> um, well, again, something to keep an eye on with the Chicago Bulls coming to town on Thursday, but a very, very busy week for the Raptors uh, with Sacramento tonight, Brooklyn tomorrow, and then the Bulls coming up on Thursday. So uh, we'll keep our eye on that. Um, as we approach that Thursday game to see if that game even goes off. I was actually uh, chatting with a, a member of the Bulls organization yesterday who, who just kind of threw out there as the, you know, the, the sort of what if, and I think it's a very real what if. Uh, will we see you in Toronto? Well, we'll see if that game even happens because things certainly are going sideways uh, for Chicago right now. Last night, very busy night in the association, and I want to touch on that um, that Kevin Durant performance a little bit more, Jonesy, again, because the Raptors yeah, see okay. the, the uh, Brooklyn Nets tomorrow uh, after the game tonight against Sacramento, and there's also chatter about the possibility of Kyrie Irving actually returning to the Nets this season. There's sort of renewed hope in Brooklyn, but I'd be a little bit um, leery. Listen, not that you don't want to have uh, a, a multi-time all-star champion, MVP caliber type player in your lineup, but things are going pretty good for Brooklyn overall. 19-8 and eight without Kyrie. Even last night, getting that victory and that performance from, from Durant uh, without James Harden in the lineup, there'd be part of me that's thinking, you know what, we're going okay right now. I don't know if we want you kind of messing things up in the, the drama and the sideshow that could become of Kyrie coming back, especially when you go on the road and you're going into other arenas and you know that his situation and the COVID and the vaccine and everything else is going to be the preeminent talk in every single road city that you step into. Well, here's the thing, though, Eric. I, I'm not sure. He obviously enhances their chances at, at winning a championship. And I think the key is uh, strategically – with Sean Marks, Steve Nash, the coaching staff, is to reintegrate him without upsetting the apple cart and and doing it slowly. Like, I'm sorry, if I'm the coach and you're back, great, you're coming in off the bench. You are. And maybe you're only getting, you know, you might be taking some minutes from a guy who's sixth or seventh man now, but you're only getting maybe 28 27, 28 minutes a game to start with. And we're going to try and practice when we can, but you're, it's going to take you probably, in my eyes as a coach, it's going to probably take you four, five, six games in that role to understand how to play with bench guys that you go into the game with 
and a hybrid unit with some of the starters that you go into the game with. Like, I don't think you just throw them back into the starting lineup. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you could. I mean, it's it's philosophical, and that's that's me. I mean, you could throw them back into the starting lineup and realize that um, everything's going to get upset. Everything is. You know, remember, and, and we, we first saw this in Toronto when guys got hurt in the starting lineup. Dwayne Casey would pick a num- man who was number 10 or 11 and put him in the starting lineup. So you don't really disrupt your bench unit. And you just put another guy in that the starters, one guy that the starters have to adjust to. So it's least disruption. I mean, the other way I'm suggesting is there's major disruption, but maybe you get normalized. You get through that implementation dip a little bit quicker. Um, so it's it's philosophical, but they need him. They're not better without him for all the people that say, oh, they're, you know, they're playing better without him. Like, yeah, they're playing well, but. You're not better without one of your best players. You're not. And and like same with the Memphis Grizzlies now. People, oh, they're playing better without Joe. Well, yeah, for now. But if you're gonna get to the finish line, you need your best player. And, you know, there are no Oklahoma Cities and Detroits and you know, there none of those teams in the playoffs, right? You know, we always talk about it in baseball too. Oh, the guy's hitting this. Well, yeah, but you're not gonna see terrible pitching in the playoffs. So I mean, it'd be great to have him back if you're Brooklyn, but I think the way you put him back in the lineup is tricky. Well, joining us on the line right now to talk about tomorrow's game against the Nets, but even more so tonight's tilt against the Sacramento Kings again, 7 o'clock, the tip-off down at Scotiabank Arena as the Raptors uh, have the back-to-back bring into the conversation from Sportsnet, sportsnet.ca, Michael Grange. Michael, appreciate the time as always. Oh, happy to be on with you guys. How's everything going? Uh, we're, we're, we're doing well, Michael, and, and I, I uh, you know, as I said to Jonesy, I, I, I don't want to spend necessarily a ton of time, but it's certainly a, a topic of discussion. Maybe before I even ask you about the Kings and the Nets with the news coming out of Chicago with now Alizé Johnson, I mean, Michael, how much of a watch are we on for Thursday and whether or not the Raptors are even going to have a game by the time Thursday rolls around with the way that uh, COVID is wreaking havoc with the Chicago Bulls roster and seeming to have an impact around the league, certainly in hockey right now with the numbers rising and, uh, and, and for the first time we're seeing games being postponed or 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 uh or potentially being postponed on the nba front and certainly we've seen it a couple of times already in the national hockey league i mean it's clearly something you got to be vigilant with and the league wants to avoid it at all costs uh well i shouldn't say at all costs i mean they you know it, it just throws so many wrenches into uh their planning and their logistics if you start canceling games but the flip side is, is you know, you've got a team, especially when you look at the Bulls, that are, you know, in position to compete for, you know, a top four seed in the East at least, and you know, struggling to get through a part of their schedule with a fraction of their working lineup. So, um, at some point, I think the league has to consider what's best for, um, you know, the Bulls' opponents, <laughs> and uh, and also what's what's best for the competitive integrity of the of the season speaking with michael grange from sportsnet sportsnet.ca michael this game tonight then for the raptors putting that stuff aside we can talk about chicago later on in the week again folks it's something to keep an eye on as i mentioned with uh, alizé johnson now testing positive the bulls down to eight players and that is the league minimum as the raptors had to deal with that a couple of times last year michael this game tonight against sacramento it's one of those games you look at on the schedule and i think you know most people would be lying if they weren't looking at that going like all right i'm not putting it in pen but i'm putting it in pencil this is one you circle and say it's got to be a victory 
especially if you have aspirations of actually, you know, getting back to 500 and kind of turning this thing around. But it's been sort of a weird year for the Raptors. Jonesy was talking about it a little bit off the top. Just when you think that you got things rolling, you know, the Oklahoma City game happens. Then you get back on track against the Knicks. At some point, you got to put together a string. And if you do get the win tonight, it's four out of five in terms of wins. And maybe you're starting to get a little bit of momentum, and the Raptors could even be in a play-in, playoff-type position by the time they wake up tomorrow if they can get this one. you got to start putting a string together at some point, though, don't you? Agreed. And, and uh, you know, you got to – the challenge is, is exactly what you're talking about. I mean, the Raptors just have not been very consistent. Their lineup hasn't been very consistent. Their performance hasn't been very consistent. We've seen some uh, growth in that area defensively recently. Um, and that's probably where it's going to have. Well, not probably. That's absolutely where it's going to have to start for this team because offensively, they're you know they're just not going to come and overwhelm too many teams too often. So, um, you know, you got the Kings, you got Rashawn Rashawn Holmes out, which is another kind of plus. But you know, it was interesting just listening to Nick Nurse the last couple of games or more. You know, there's almost like an acknowledgement that especially while they're shorthanded. Um, you know, they're just not in a position to have that expectation going into any game. Like they're, you know, they're firmly in the bottom half of the league, firmly in the bottom third of the league based on performance and most measurements. And so, you know, for them to expect to win against almost any visiting team, you know, it's the wrong outlook. So it really should be, um, you know, you look at the team, you know, the Kings are kind of like almost a mirror image of theirs. You know, they're just they're just kind of deficient in a number of areas. They've got a key player in Rashawn Holmes out. And, um, you know, so, so yeah, they got to get it. And you're right. If they're going to make any noise, they got to get a, you know, they got to start stringing some together. But there's a reason they haven't been able to do that yet. Speaking with Michael Grange from Sportsnet, we're going to get Jonesy back into the mix in a couple of seconds, just ironing out some technical issues on his end. So you and I will continue on here, Michael. Um, Looking back to Saturday, even just looking back to the last couple of games, is there any one player that has kind of impressed you more than any uh, in terms of what he's doing, uh, the impact he's making? Um, Because I'll give you, maybe I'm I'm back-selling my question a little bit. I'm, I'm really been impressed by how Chris Boucher has certainly seemingly turned things around. And one of the things he said to, to Jonesy and I, at least in, in a post-game interview on our radio broadcast, was he recognized that he needed to get back to doing some of the small things and not focus so much on the three and find other ways to impact the game. And it's one thing when a guy says that, Michael. It's another thing when he actually goes out and does it. And I feel like he's doing it. it, it, it has he impressed you? Or is there maybe somebody else that comes to mind? No, I think that's a good one. I mean, he's, he's fitted well with the starting lineup the last two games. And... Um, you know, even going before that, he's had some, a couple of strong outings and, and he made similar comments, you know, to the media, probably might have been the same night um, when he kind of came off, came off the bench and had a, a pretty nice burst there. And and I think it's always a struggle for players in Chris's position where, you know, you, you want to keep pushing the boundaries, you want to keep growing as a player, you put in a lot of work in the off season to add skills or refine skills that you hope you can bring, um, you know, into games. And then there's always that fine balance of, of sort of applying all that work you put in. And in Chris's situation, it was, you know, maybe being able to shoot threes off the dribble a little bit, maybe being attacked, be able to attack closeouts on the weak side a little bit, just being a kind of a more, 
a complete player than, you know, a catch and shoot three and a, and a dunker roller. And, you know, and I think when you add in some of the circumstances he was thrust into, he, you know, missing all the whole exhibition season with, you know, the broken finger, and then all of a sudden a pretty competitive uh, battle for rotation minutes in that kind of four or five spot, you know, especially when everyone's healthy and presses at you are kind of, kind of, kind of having a great preseason and getting all kinds of opportunities early. You know, you could tell that Chris was coming on in, in, into the game in the minutes he was getting and trying to make an impact right away. And the way he kind of was trying to do it was to show that he was even that much better a player than he'd shown a year ago. And it all backfired, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, that's you could see it. You could see him go through the process of, of kind of being stubborn early and really trying to, you know, keep keep taking those shots and keep showing that he'd done what, you know, made all those you know, had grown. And then when that wasn't working, you know, I think you saw a lot of hesitation and some, some doubt creep in and that's kind of the death, you know, that's, there's nothing worse. And, you know, really, I think this opportunity with the two out and Ken Birch out and him getting a couple of starts has been perfect, right? Like, it's like, okay, he can just kind of slip back into what worked for him and in a role that he's always been kind of best at. And, uh, you know, you kind of build your season from there. And, and you know, you're, you're really happy about it. And, and I agree. It's not too often you hear a player, and that's why I'm a big fan of Chris Boucher. It's like, he's, he does not BS. <laughs> you know, he is honest about himself. He is honest when he falls short. He's accountable. And, um, you know, usually he acts on it. So um, he has been good. And, and he's always going to have his limitations. But he does have things he can do in an NBA game to, to help a team. We've got Jonesy back into the mix here. We'll get him uh, on in one second uh, as I'll throw it over to him. But just as a quick update as well for uh, folks maybe just tuning in or that didn't hear Precious Achua out tonight with health and safety protocols and OG Ananobi still sidelined with the left hip pointer. Kem Birch with the right knee swelling. And, of course, Goran Dragic not with the team. David Johnson with a left calf strain. So the Raptors certainly still banged up bodies coming into tonight's game playing under man. So we would probably expect to see another heavy dose of Chris Boucher in the starting lineup against the Sacramento Kings. Jonesy, take it away. Yeah, Michael, how feasible do you think it is that Chris stays in the starting lineup for a while? I mean, Kem is out. We we just heard about Precious. I mean, even when they get back healthy, um, look, if the guy's going good. And, like, I, I look at the numbers and the things that he's giving them now, and Eric and I have noted it, and I, and I heard you guys talking that, you know, about his post-game interview with Eric and I. He stripped his game down. He's really simplified it. I mean, you know, the other night, he scored everything was basically running the floor in the paint, offensive rebounds. He's limiting his threes. How feasible do you think it is that, hey, if things are going, you know, they win four out of five, five out of six, and he's in the starting lineup, Nick just – and because we've seen Nick do this before, just roll with it. Yeah, I think it's feasible, and in part because I don't think you can point to – I, I guess I would say this is, is if and when Ken Burch is healthy and back, like I think he's your best center and he should start. Um, but, you know, Presto Sichua, I don't think he's done anything that he could come back to to health and, and, and expect to start, right? Like, I mean, I think he's he's had some good games. He's had some bad games. He's had, you know, there's things he's done well. There's things he clearly does not do that well. And, uh, you know, so – to the and it's not like the, the Raptors have been on a roll 
with him in those minutes. So I, I think it's a fair observation. Like if, if Chris Boucher starting uh, creates a nice niche for himself and he can kind of consistently produce and the team benefits as a result, then, you know, it's clearly not a situation where anyone else is really, you know, again, I think Cam has been good and would deserve to get that role back, but, but it's not like anyone else. It's not like Precious Achua, let's say, has been so overwhelming that it would be an injustice to him <laughs> for, to uh, to not come back and start automatically. So, um, you know, I think, but I mean, and you can see, like Chris gets it, right? Like he's, uh, you know, he's been such a survivor in his basketball career and his NBA career. Um, there's been there's just been so many moments uh, where things could have gone the other way for him. He's not going to fritter this away. Right, like he is going to, I would promise, is going to play to the limit of his ability, um, you know, tonight and however long he gets this kind of opportunity, and so um, you know, circumstances might change or what it, what it might have you, but I think you're going to see the best of what Chris Boucher has to bring uh, while he's got this this chance to make some hay. Speaking with Michael Grange from Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca, Michael, you know, it seems like we. Well, I mean, we can have a conversation without bringing up this name, but maybe we shouldn't have a conversation without bringing up this name. Every single game that passes, it seems that Scotty Barnes does something or multiple things that I still look at Jonesy or Jonesy looks at me and think, man, this kid's a rookie. This this is this, this guy's only 20 years old, and, and people were wondering about whether this was the right pick, the wrong pick, whatever. They, I mean, he is so impressive with not just the rebounding, the energy, the, the shot making that has increased, but his passing skills, his, his floor vision, the, just the intelligence overall that he seems to have for the game, the maturity that he has. I don't know if we talk enough about the impact he's made on this team. Yeah, and I, I mean, Fred Van Leet certainly made that point the other day, like, um, you know, Scotty Barnes isn't a luxury on this team. It's like, isn't it nice that he's playing pretty well as a rookie? Like, he is probably their third most important player, <laughs> right? Like, um, you know, certainly right now he is with, with the, you know, OG and, and Ken Birch out. But, you know, statistically he's there. There's a reason, you know, you go back to what Nick Nurse said at the beginning of the year, you know, how would you gauge a successful season for Scotty Barnes. And I think his, his met, number one metric was minutes. Um, that would suggest he's getting a lot of reps. He's being valuable. Well, the guys, uh, you know, I'm just looking at his game log here. <laughs> he's played 41 minutes, 39 minutes, 37 minutes, 39 minutes, 38 minutes, 37 minutes, 36 minutes, 39 minutes. That's his last eight games or whatever. So I would suspect, I would say that Scotty Barnes is playing, is having a really good season. And just because Nick Nurse can't find an opportunity to take him off the floor because he's given him so much. And you look at his production over that stretch, um, you know, and, and it speaks to all the things you're talking about. I mean, you know, shooting a high percentage from the floor. His turnover numbers are very, are, you know, he's got a two-to-one assist to turnover ratio in that stretch. Like for a rookie who handles the ball a decent amount, you can't do that in that app. it's, uh, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, and I think we were talking with us, Eric, after the game on Friday. Uh, you know, he just is one of those guys, and Jonesy, you know, you've coached them, you've played against them, you've played with them probably, who are able to make 
you know, they're not always the most complicated plays, right? But he's just they're just able to make the right play at a key moment under pressure when the game's, you know, can really tip another way. And it can be as simple as a deflection. It could be, you know, just a, a you know, a quick in and out pass out of in his, into his hands, out of his hands. Or it can be, you know, an offensive rebound to, to secure another look at three, which is how Gary Trent got his shot the other night that uh, basically won the game. So, um you're right, Eric. Uh, it's not just that he does this. It's that he seems to do it. It's almost a shock when he doesn't do it. And right. to be able to kind of have that level of impact as consistently as he has as a rookie, like it just portends, you know, um, you, you know, like, it, like look, Fred VanVleet knows a lot better than I do. <laughs> and he's, you know, he, his, his ceiling is very, very, very high. And, you know, Fred was like, I'm on his butt because I see greatness. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. 7 o'clock tonight, the Raptors getting set for the Sacramento Kings. First night of the back-to-back for the Raptors as they play in Brooklyn tomorrow. Michael, see you down at the gym. Appreciate the time today. Always, guys. Take care. Thanks. There's Michael Grange from Sportsnet. We will step aside when we come back. We'll continue on the uh, NBA front when former NBA player and Suns analyst from Sirius XM Radio as well, Eddie Johnson joins us on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. If you like the show, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review the show as well. In a couple of minutes' time, we will be joined by Eddie Johnson, former NBA player, co-host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio, Phoenix Suns TV analyst as well, as the Raptors tonight get set for the Sacramento Kings tomorrow on the second night of the back-to-back playing against the Brooklyn Nets. But uh, we'll talk to Eddie about a lot of things around the league, not the least of which the season that the Phoenix Suns are having right now. And you take a look down, they continue to roll along uh, with two in a row in the win column, now 21-4 and four, and just slightly ahead of Golden State, who lost their last game now at 21-5. and five. And I continue, Jonesy, to be impressed by what the Suns have done this season because I wasn't thinking that last year was a blip. They were a very talented team, but I will fully admit I did not anticipate them being as good as they were, did not assume that they would be representing the West in the final last year, and I thought that they were due for at least a little bit of a step back this year. Maybe a top five succeed, but I certainly did not see 21-4 and four after 25 games and just running rough shot through the league right now. Yeah, they, they are, uh, like you said, it wasn't a blip. It wasn't a fluke last year. Um, boy, and it really puts, he doesn't have a championship yet, and I think that would be the uh, I don't know the the validation, the 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 verification for uh, Chris Paul, but he will go down as one of the NBA's great all-time leaders. And you know, we, it was last week uh, we talked about this. I think we talked about it. That it would have been the day on the day that Chris Paul would have been traded to the Lakers, and uh, David Stern and the NBA that w- they were running the franchise in New Orleans put the kibosh on it. They said no, and. Just think of it. Could you imagine Kobe Bryant and Chris Paul on the same team? And it's the to me, it's the little things that guys say that that are at a certain level that mean things. Just the little kind of offhand comments. 
And I, I will never forget uh, when the 2008 Olympic team, the redeem team got together and they were talking, I mean, and it had, it had, it had Bosch and Wade and LeBron and Kobe and Dwight Howard and like, like the, the who's who in the NBA was on that team to go and get the gold medal back after losing it in 2004 in Athens. And I remember Kobe's comment when they asked him about all the guys in the team and how good they were. He said, you know, he, he, he kind of said, yeah, you know, great team, whatever he said, but Chris Paul, that's a bad boy. <laughs> and I, I think what probably caught Kobe is what we're seeing now, his leadership, uh, his competitive spirit, his, his knowledge, his IQ about the game, all of those things. And Kobe saw that early and I can only imagine if that trade would have gone through because he ended up going to L.A., but to the other team. But Chris Paul, to me, is is one of the great leaders, generational leaders uh, in the NBA, and a guy that, if he championship or not, he's going to go down as one of the greats. It would just kind of cement it if he were to get a ring. You know, at the at the risk of being guilty of revisionist history or or, or bringing up you know old news. I still look back to that, Jonesy, and I think of what's happening now in the league and what has been happening for years in the league with players orchestrating where they're going and trying to build the super teams and, and, and you've got teams being fined and, and punished and whatnot for uh, you know their, their covert moves behind the scenes trying to orchestrate future deals with players, i.e. the Bulls, the Heat, just even within the last week or two with the punishment levied for the Lonzo Ball signing, the Kyle Lowry deal, etc. And I just think back to what the league did. And, and maybe it was different because the league technically was controlling one franchise, so there had to be more transparency, etc. But the fact that David Stern stepped up and squashed the deal that had been signed, that had been agreed upon, that stunk at the time. And, you know, it, again, it's it's Monday morning quarterback stuff. There's no way to truly know the answer to this. But what kind of a difference would that have made to the Lakers, to the Lakers' legacy, to Kobe Bryant's legacy? Because we even referenced last week when talking about, you know, how hard it is to win, how hard it is to win a championship. People forget that there were some lean years in L.A., even with Kobe Bryant in the lineup. Just because you have oh, a superstar yeah. doesn't mean that you're automatically going to win. You need to build a team. And what a difference it would have made if you had Chris Paul on that team. Like I, It still stinks to me all these years later that David Stern put the kibosh on that. Yeah, and, and I, I think they were probably, let's face it, they were probably worried about competitive balance. And um, at one of those times when we always talk about the rich get richer and David Stern from his seat in the league and the league having control of that franchise in, in uh, New Orleans saying, you know what? No, um, we're not going to let this happen. This is not a good time for this to happen. And it's interesting that he would um, veto the tree trade to the Lakers, but a little while later, let it go through to the Clippers, maybe to make the LA market more competitive. Uh, you know, maybe to, again, prop up one of his bigger markets one of the bigger markets in LA. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, and that, Eric, you make a great point because that's the biggest deal between now and then. Don't tell me there weren't super teams back then, mm -hmm. you know, Bird, McHale, Parrish, Ainge, Dennis Johnson, like four or five, you know, Hall of Famers that start Magic, Kareem, 
Worthy, Byron Scott, Norm Nixon, like, you know, that those 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 teams, I mean, the, the Sixers traded after they lost to L.A., they traded for Moses Malone, and you had Moses and Doc on the same team. Like, don't, don't tell me those weren't super teams, because they were. They were. They were. And the difference was management was doing the orchestrating, and the era of player empowerment hadn't hit, and people, you know, people were giving the credit to management. Now, they don't like it that the players are you now doing their own tampering, recruiting, and and playing general manager and getting together, that you know the the whole Bosch Wade LeBron thing, a player on that 2008 Olympic team told me that they had it worked out. Then he knew at that point that those three guys were going to play together. So you know that that probably started that whole you know that whole idea that whole uh, you know era of player player empowerment. Well, this is – I'm trying to even struggle with how I want to articulate this, Jonesy. This is the one thing where I fully admit I sit on the fence. And, and listen, you can throw whatever arrows you want at me. I'll take them because they're, they're, they're deserved. They're valid. I'm totally sitting on the fence. I see both sides of this, and I, on one hand, I think it's brutal for the league. On the other hand, I go, hold on a second. If we applied what's happening pro sports to regular everyday life – and i I, I got to be clear to the bosses – not looking to leave. I'm happy where I am. I'm not, I'm not orchestrating any deals. I won't even mention the other letters of another station or the call letters of another station in the city or stations or whatever else. But, Jonesy, if we applied pro sports to our regular life, if we had our best friend or multiple best friends working at another station, or let's not even use us as an example. Let's talk about a lawyer at a firm whose best friend is a partner somewhere else or or has multiple friends working for another firm or insert business here, and you had a chance to leave your existing job that you love and you got no problem with your job, but I got a chance to go work with my friends every day and make the same money or maybe even more money or... I'm at a, at, at a firm or a job or a business that makes pretty good money, but not great money. They're not considered the best. That place over there is potentially considered the best. And by me going there, I'd make them even better. And, oh, yeah, by the way, going there, I get to work with my friends and make the same, if not more money. How much of us or how many of us wouldn't take that option and want that option and, and look forward to or relish that option? So I, I, I see why guys want to do this, but I am of also the camp that goes, man, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like how they're orchestrating things. I don't like how they're taking the power into their hand, own hands because it maybe shouldn't be that way. So I, I, I fully acknowledge playing both sides of this and have for years because I don't know what the ultimate answer or solution is. Yeah, uh, but sometimes it doesn't always work. It looks good, and, and I think we're all guilty of looking at things on paper when Miami did that I mean they they basically had a parade before uh they won anything not not four not five whatever it was or not three not four they won two championships in four trips to the finals and basically in my eyes it should have been one like the, the second one San Antonio gave them by with with you know with missed free throws and and I know it's part of the game. It's you play the game till the end, you know, one offensive, one rebound, couple of free throws, 
like I said, with San Antonio leading when they were in 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 Game Six, I was booking my flight home that night, sitting in in uh, American Airlines Arena, and the stat came out later from ESPN. The teams in that situation over the last you know twenty years in regular season and playoffs, there was a ninety seven percent chance of winning, and you know the the the, the Heat took advantage of the three percent. So you know they 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 made all that noise. They won two championships. I think it should have been only one. That said, back to my original point, it doesn't always work. Like, I'm looking at the Lakers this year. Like, would it have been better to trade for Buddy Heald? Would it have been better maybe to just upgrade and keep Pope, Kuzma, and Harrell? Because right now, they're they're kind of... I mean, I'm not saying they're not going to figure it out, but they're not blowing people away. They might by the end of the year. It does take time. But I'm not sure it it always works, Eric. I think it's more about putting the team together than it is superstar names. But to your point that you started with, I would I would jump at that opportunity. Yeah. Make money, go to a place where I could work with a friend and uh, yeah, uh, who wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll and I'll answer your question that you just asked. The Lakers would have been better to trade for Buddy Heald. And to keep, because Jonesy, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong here. The blueprint, I think forever, but certainly now at this stage of his career as well, the blueprint to me, listen, if you handed me the reins to the Lakers or any organization right now and I had the chance to have LeBron James, what would I do to make my team potentially most successful with LeBron James? How do I feel that I tap into LeBron James' skill set at 32 or 37 or 28 or whatever? I suppose surround LeBron James with shooters because he's going to drive into the lane and he's going to finish himself. He's going to get to the tin. He's going to get the call or he's going to attract two, three, four defenders and kick out to wide open shooters. And I want dudes that are threats from 18, 20, let alone 22, 23, 25 feet. If he can kick out to open shooters and right now if the Lakers had locked and loaded cocked and ready to go, Contavious Caldwell-Pope or Spencer Dinwiddie or Kyle Kuzma or insert player here, Buddy Heald, that would be a hell of a lot better than a lot of the shooters or the lack of shooters that the Lakers have slash don't have. Well, yeah, I, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And, and, I, and I think, like I said, I think they are eventually going to figure it out, uh, the Lakers. They're, they're too good not to. And some of it just comes down to, to, to their better players playing better. Anthony Davis, you know, I, you know, I'll, I'll go on record. I, I still don't think he should have been one of the top 75. I mean, he, he got his title. Um, he got it with LeBron, though. Um, it's not like he was, he was great, but it's not like he's, he's leading the charge or a guy that, um, you know, you would say you, you could – you could build your franchise around. They've, they've tried in other places and it didn't work. I mean, maybe now that he's experienced some success, you, you, you might try again and the Lakers are going to have to depend on him uh, to be that guy once LeBron eventually hangs it up. But um, I, I think they're going to figure it out. I, I, I do. I, I don't know if they're going to win it all. I think they're going to start to play better. I think they're going to figure it out. And, you know, the other thing that that factors into this that nobody's really talking about. And I'm not saying he's washed, 
But LeBron is he's he's an elder statesman and he doesn't mm-hmm. bounce back and do the stuff that he used to. I mean, he's been terrific his whole career. He's actually showing signs of being a mere mortal now, you know, getting injured, missing games, you know, not not playing as great as as everybody thinks he should every night. So they're eventually going to figure it out. Well, hopefully they uh, they figure things out because the Lakers right now uh, in the Western Conference sitting in that sixth seed, they have won two games in a row and they're back above 500 now at 15 and 13, but uh, you know certainly not where a lot of people anticipated they would be this season uh, with the type of year that many thought the Lakers would have with the type of talent that they have on their roster. And quickly before we step aside here, wanted to uh, give a shout out to uh, Zach Randolph, his um, jersey retired yesterday uh, by Memphis, the number 50 hanging in the rafters in Memphis. And great of Mark Gasol, his former teammate, to fly in from Spain and surprise Zebo at the jersey retirement ceremony. So I just wanted to shout that out. Uh, we weren't able to hook up with Eddie Johnson. We'll get him on maybe later on in the week uh, and get his insights onto the, into the Suns and, and much more. Uh, but again, folks, it's the Raptors tonight facing the Sacramento Kings. 7 o'clock tip-off down at Scotiabank Arena. First night of the back-to-back. And we will discuss that game and also preview the Nets game on tomorrow's edition of Smith and Jones as well. If you like Smith and Jones, make sure you subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well.